Hello and thank you for joining us here on the Growth Medium podcast. My name is Sarah and I'm a first year medic here in the UK and I'm also co-host to the Growth Medium. And my name is Mem, also a co-host on the Growth Medium podcast. I'm a third year biochemistry student and a blogger on bimem.com. Just to give you a little insight about who we are, we bust myths in science and health by talking to the experts and sprinkling a little bit of controversy in there. I guess you could call us the myth busters. Severe eye roll. Anyway, we use evidence-based research as our weapons of choice. And don't forget, this season, we're overlapping culture with science. Absolutely. And to be part of all of this, all you have to do is join us every Monday as we learn more and grow our mindsets together. Enjoy and let's get on to the episode. Hi guys and welcome to another episode of the Growth Medium podcast. And in today's episode we're joined by Samaya Rahman who is currently studying global health at Queen Mary. Um, Today's topic was actually suggested by Samaya and by the way if you ever want to suggest a topic to us check out our website we're always open for guests and topics but this one in particular uh, Sarah and I definitely agree needs to be talked about. It will be an interesting episode I assure you so welcome Samaya. It's lovely to have you here today. Hi guys, and thank you for giving me the opportunity um, to talk on your podcast today. I'm really excited. Um, So can you introduce yourself a little bit and just tell us a bit more about yourself and why you wanted to, why you chose this particular topic today? So I'm a second year global health student studying at Queen Mary University of London. And global health is a very relevant course, especially if we look at the current public health crisis we are facing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And so within global health, we not only focus on the clinical aspects, but we look beyond this, exploring the broader determinants in relation to socioeconomic inequalities, political issues, environmental characteristics, and of course, we do touch on biological factors. And I feel this nicely ties in with um, today's theme in terms of exploring how obesity has an impact on COVID-19. And in July 2020, the government had highlighted that obesity is strongly associated with COVID-19. Yet there's this sense of irony because we know that this relationship exists. However, the effects of the pandemic have actually led to around a third of people gaining weight. And so this is due to lockdown, as well as the temporary suspension of weight management services, which makes it extremely difficult for people with obesity to seek treatment. So rather than just exploring the biomedical aspect of health, I hope that during this episode, people can understand that there are multiple factors related to this relationship, which makes it both complex to understand as well as interesting. Yeah, I, I really like that you touched on that, actually, because as a biochem student, and I'm sure Sarah can relate as well, a lot of what we focus on is the thermodi- thermodynamics of obesity. So, you know, calories in equals calories out, etc. And whilst that's fundamentally true, a lot of what's missed is the socioeconomic uh, relationships that people can have and kind of the weight stigma that's um, in our environment and also kind of the obesogenic environment that we live in. So tying into that, in today's society, we do see a lot of stigma around obesity and against those who I guess some people would say are in a larger body. Um, And it's often seen as self-inflicted. 
why do you think there's a lot of stigma around this and do you think that kind of being in the environment that we're in it kind of leads to um I guess obesity and lack of yeah the stigma against obesity as well so I mean there are several reasons as to why there is so much stigma and we'll never truly know the single biggest reason as to the Mm -hmm. main cause of stigma but I think in my opinion, I think there's a lot of blaming culture associated with obesity, which kind of individualizes the problem. And there's this assumption that being obese is self-inflicted and people choose to eat unhealthily. And I think part of the reason this exists is because within the media, um, there's not really an accurate representation. You don't see a lot of Um, overweight or obese people on the media which makes it um, extremely difficult to get a good portrayal of what they're experiencing. Alongside this um, as time has progressed I do believe that we're becoming more aware that obesity is not just influenced by behavior alone um, but we can see a relationship with genetics and the environment an individual lives in which can shape their weight which kind of fits in with um, an obesogenic environment. So this is a role of the built environment that influences both nutrition and an individual's physical activity. So a scholar known as Guthman in 2013 highlighted that an obesogenic environment relates to two core claims, energy intake, which is how much we choose to consume and energy expenditure, so how much we choose to burn off. And the two types of food environments considered as obesogenic are food deserts and food swamps. So I'm going to focus on food deserts. So in a desert, you naturally think, um, forgetting about the context, it's a place which lacks um, water. So food desert in this case is a lack of affordable and healthy, nutritious food. And I think why food deserts exist in the first place is due to um, socioeconomic status. So areas with higher levels of multi-deprivation are more likely to have higher levels of obesity. So if we take a local London borough, such as Tower Hamlets, for example, it falls within the top 10% most deprived areas in London. And from an early age, around 25% of pupils aged 10 to 11 are obese. So why is this? I think it's not just to do with um, the socioeconomic status, but it's also to do with, within these areas, the proximity of fast food outlets to schools influences individuals' food choices. So the density and proximity of fast food outlets is associated with obesity. And most of these fast food outlets are located in poorer areas because one, it's it's a popular thing to eat, um, especially in poorer regions of the UK. Alongside this, fast food outlets sell food which may not necessarily be nutritious, but it's filling and it's cheap at the same time. So it works well for families living on low wages. As well as this, if you go to your local supermarket, you will generally find the junk food as soon as you enter the supermarket. And this will usually always be on offer, whether it's a buy one, get one free deal or two for one deals. And I think people from poorer backgrounds will always opt for this, not only because of the quantity, but also the fact that it's cheaper than purchasing fruit and veg. And a lot of the time, it's down to what people can afford rather than being able to buy healthier alternatives. And I just wanted to add one other thing. If we look at this from a different perspective as well, in a 2010 study, it was considered that weight stigmatization is actually justifiable to encourage individuals to adopt a healthy eating approach. But they'd actually found that 
as a result of using weight stigmatization, people with obesity, it had psychologically and physical effects. And the common stereotypes associated with obese people is that they lack self-discipline. There's not much motivation and they're generally non-compliant. And these stereotypes are everywhere. And it kind of comes back to my earlier point in terms of the media influencing this within society. And it's now become common culture to associate obese people as those who are non-compliant or lazy. And so health professionals are less likely as a result to offer treatment or surgical procedures to individuals who may be obese. So for example, elective surgeries such as bariatric and metabolic surgery was very limited prior to COVID-19, despite the demand. And it's actually one of the most effective ways for individuals to lose weight. So I think in essence, there is such a high level of stigma directed towards people with obesity, because within society, people believe that being obese is a lifestyle choice, when actually it isn't. There's not enough representation or accurate media coverage. As well as this, it's based on the environment we were born and raised in. And the limited opportunities there are for people in these areas means they it's, less, it's harder for them to be able to buy and access healthier food alternatives due to the cost associated with it. No, absolutely. And then, uh, so just to define what an uh, obesogenic environment is, it's basically an environment where we that we live in that caters or encourages unhealthy eating, makes exercise a bit more difficult. And coming back to your point where exposure to like, many uh, fast food outlets Cambridge experts said that on average you're exposed to 32 different takeaway options on a day-to-day basis and that obviously has some kind of impact on on an individual so I think this ties nicely with a little um advert I saw on YouTube that keeps popping up recently and uh, did you manage to watch it yes yes I did watch it so what do you guys think of it Well, when I saw the ad, I was actually really surprised Um, as well. It became viral. So it was a group of individuals who were asked to express their views on obesity. So I just wanted to give a couple of examples because it really blew my mind. Um, But the first person in the video like started off with, hey, fatty, stop eating. And then someone else said it's a mindset thing. If you have the mind right set, you can achieve anything or just do exercise. And Again, in the beginning of this ad, there was a lot of weight stigmatization and most of the comments were centered around making behavioral changes. So then later on in the video, um, the individuals were asked to read from a teleporter whereby obesity had been put back to front as Y-Tacebo, a neglected non-communicable disease, so a disease that is not transmitted. Mm -hmm. Um, And just a few facts that kind of like struck out was White SIBO, in this case, causes yeah. 2.8 million deaths each year. Um, there's not a single country which has managed to reduce it in over 30 years. 40% of people experience judgment and humiliation. And then 650 million adults live with white SIBO. And the individuals then later found out that they were talking about obesity. And someone who earlier went on to say that it's all to do with exercise realised It's more than just diet and exercise. And I think when we as a society are presented with the facts and understand how many people it affects, I think then we can start to make changes. And I think it's difficult. We cannot make such positive changes, especially with diseases such as obesity, 
um, is when there continues to be so much negativity surrounding it. And I think if people watched this um, ad and people were more educated on the issues, they would realize that there are other factors associated um, to obesity. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, what do you think, Mem? Did you watch it as well? Yeah, the ad. The um... yeah. No, when I first saw it, I mean, like at the beginning, it was talking about uh, the people were t- talking about their feelings about obesity, right? And as Samaya, you were talking about the different reasons that could happen and um, how society views it. A lot of the views were very, you know, obesity is self-inflicted. People who are obese lack willpower. And it's quite interesting because um, as Samaya touched on the psychological impacts of that 2010 study, we know that willpower is kind of a poor indicator for uh, something like weight loss. And that's been shown time and time again. Many dietitians will agree with that. And still we have this view that, you know, people who are obese kind of lack that self-discipline and lack that willpower when reality, our psychology doesn't want that. Like, um, yeah, it it was quite an interesting uh, thing. And then I guess I did see the second part of it as well, which was when they read the, um, the stats and stuff. And it was, I don't know, I felt kind of in two ways about it because obviously I think... I did appreciate that they acknowledged that obesity is such a large problem and it's not as easy as just telling obese people to, you know, calories out and, I don't know, be disciplined. It's not that simple. But at the same time, it it's quite a bittersweet kind of feeling for me. And I can't exactly put my finger on why, but... Yeah, yeah. I, I really get what you're you're saying here because I like that they were raising awareness I'm not sure I like the way they were raising awareness, if if you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like, I did have this conflicting feeling like, okay, yeah, they're educating these people and it's it's a genuine non-communicable uh, disease and we have so many different factors affecting an individual. It's not as black and white as a lot of people think it is. Um, but I still have these conflicting feelings about the end of the video which I can't really put into words for some reason. It was very oh. like, oh, pity, oh, woe is me kind of feeling, if you get what I mean. Yeah, which is, I guess, I guess having that compassionate approach is helpful, of course, um, when it comes to obesity and stuff. But it feels very, um, I don't want to say performative, but kind of rather than focusing on, you know, we need to make a change it was just very like oh I feel bad for these people I don't know yeah I kind of got that vibe yeah and I think it's wrong to think that every larger person is unhealthy Mm, and I think that it it gave that kind of um vibe Mm, controversial opinion there (laughs) loads of people won't agree with you um but uh yeah yeah that's a fair point as well that, that's a fair point now, no it's true because there there were there are some studies to indicate that you you don't have to so wait let's come on to the topic of bmi and then i'll yeah. talk about this a bit more so currently bmi is pretty much a main determinant of obesity why though because it's not very accurate. It's mainly used for um, like 
measure population measurements, screening, statistics. But when it comes to defining and investigating obesity, it's not the only value we should be using. We should be looking at the distribution of the adipose tissue biologically, um, you know, how your the physiology of your body. There's a lot more to it than just BMI. Um, so why do we still use the BMI as a determinant, the main determinant as a, of obesity? What do you think about this, Samir? I think... BMI, I think it's the most common and universal measure which is used to determine whether an individual is healthy. So it's the most recognisable measure. If you go to your local GP and you're talking about health-related measures, generally they'll always bring up BMI. And I think it's something which people can easily refer to, which makes it the go-to option when it comes to being the main determinant for obesity. However, I would argue that um, many public health institutions are beginning to slowly move away from BMI and focus on the broader determinants, which increases an individual's risk of developing obesity long term. And I think part of the reason for this is because obesity is a growing epidemic in many Western regions across the world. And it could actually be considered as a pandemic as it begins to affect so many countries. So I think people have begun to realise that obesity is more than just a weight issue. There are other factors such as political enforcements and wide scale campaigns, which may reduce the high levels of obesity. But I think this can only take place when it's everyone, not just an individual thing. Um, And people begin to take accountability for the higher levels of obesity. And again, as we mentioned before, rather than considering obesity as a problem, I think finding positive solutions, which everyone can adopt will help. But I think the main reason why BMI is such a um, huge determinant or considered as the only determinant is because obesity is considered as an individual thing. um, And it's universally recognised. Yeah, yeah. And there, there is actually like, I think OB, uh, with BMI, it's quite useful, as you said, on like a kind of higher level population level type thing, because people can refer refer to it. But there are so many issues with the actual system of it. Did you guys know who started the BMI, like who calculated it, who made it up? No, it was, um, it was made, I think, in the late 1800s. And it was by a white male who happened to be uh, a mathematician. So not even someone who was a doctor, not even someone who's in the field, but someone who was a mathematician, which is, okay, fine. But um, my problem with the BMI is that it does uh, lack the kind of individual measures. So for example, it would, like Sarah said, it wouldn't uh, talk about the distribution of your fat because the distribution of your fat is quite important. So people who are black and brown are actually more likely to be considered overweight on the BMI scale, but then their fat is more around their hips or their um, bum or something like that. And that's generally seen as um, not a healthier fat to have, but it's less uh, high risk than like mm-hmm. abdominal fat, for example. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of my uh, thoughts on the whole BMI being a, indicator thing in terms of COVID-19 what is the link between BMI and COVID-19? So in July um, Public Health England um, estimated that a BMI of 35 to 40 which is obese um, increases a person's chances of dying from COVID-19 by around 40 percent and BMI greater than 40 which is around 
which is morbidly obese, could increase the risk by 90%. So I think with obesity, obviously, it's the accumulation of fat, um, especially um, where it happens, it can impact metabolism, leading to higher levels of insulin in the blood. So in relation to COVID-19, when there is excessive fat in the body, it spreads to the lungs and it can actually deteriorate the lungs performance to be able to handle the virus due to blocked pathways. So as a result, people who are obese or morbidly obese and have COVID-19 are more likely to suffer from acute respiratory syndrome, which is otherwise known as SARS. As, as well as this, um, they also have higher viral loads. So people with obesity will generally have existing comorbidities such as diabetes, heart and lung disease. So therefore, they're at greater risk of an impaired immune response as well as chronic inflammation. So this is where individuals begin to develop more blood clots, which again increases their risk of dying because their body isn't able to fight against the virus. So, yeah. And on top of that as well, I think we need to look at um, perhaps other reasons why and there is a higher risk of, for these patients of like of dying. For, for example, there was an article that I was reading and it mentioned that some hospital resources can't actually meet the demands or the needs of um, more obese patients in terms of the medical equipment. So in, um, for like imaging, um, machinery, etc., there's a limit to how much the weight that it can, that can withstand. Um, and that consequently has an impact on the treatment that it can give. And for example, patients who are, um, I'm assuming if you come in with, um, and you aren't conscious, if you aren't conscious, you bring, you're being brought into hospital, you need to be carried onto the bed. And then obviously for larger patients, it's it requires a bit more uh, more complex handling. Um, and this may not be available in a hospital. So I think that would also have an impact on the treatment a patient would get. And they're already at a disadvantage because of it. Yeah. I actually, um, it wasn't a study that I read, but there's a doctor that I follow on Instagram. He's a surgeon in the NHS. And he took a look at, I think, oh, I can't remember exactly who wrote the article. I think, I can't remember, but I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, but what they saw was that the distribution of patients who went into ICU um, matched the distribution of uh, people who match a certain BMI so we know that like 30% of people have a BMI of over 30 so they saw that 30% of people um, who were in ICU for COVID had were overweight and what I think something he mentioned when he was talking about this is that there's a lot of implicit biases that can happen when an obese patient actually goes into ICU or goes into hospital as well. Um, for example, we know that there's been a strain on the NHS when it comes to handling COVID patients, right? And doctors and nurses, they have to make the difficult decision on who they're going to put on a ventilator, who they're going to allocate resources to. And it's likely that they're going to, if two people come in, they're both 30 years old, one is a BMI of, let's say, 24.5, and one is a BMI of 35, it's more likely that they'll put the person who has a BMI of 24.5 or whatever I said, on a ventilator. And then 
the person who has a BMI of 35, they don't have access to that treatment and then they're more likely to either have more severe symptoms or pass away because of that lack of access. So again, it's one of those things where obesity does have an impact of course on these diseases but it's also the handling Mm -hmm. of obese patients like you said Sarah. Going back to the point where I was talking about having a larger or higher BMI doesn't necessarily mean you're unhealthy. So there's this study I was reading about and they assigned certain weight loss percentages to different groups of the participants And what they were able to conclude in the study was that regardless of like the initial weight and the BMI of these patients, the weight loss, so moderate weight loss or very slight weight loss or changes had quite a big impact on the patient's health and in reducing their risk of, for example, diabetes. What I also found interesting was the fact that there wasn't any added benefit so the risks that had been reduced due to weight loss weren't impacted any further past a certain weight loss point or marker for example just to make this a bit clearer um, in the study they found that for every kg loss there was a 16 percent reduction in progression to diabetes but then after a loss of 10 kg there wasn't any increase in this benefit so that was really quite interesting to see but I think it's important to keep in mind that this study was just done with 40 participants um, which is not a very reliable not a very reliable sample size Um, we but then I think we're seeing more and more of these studies emerge proving this particular point Um, so yeah I found that quite interesting that's really interesting because I mean we talked to uh Catherine right who's a dietitian in the intuitive eating and haze kind of uh sector and one thing she was talking about is kind of that set point weight so everyone's got like a set point weight that their body is happy at so I wonder if it's got to do if the study that you're talking about kind of can be used and linked to that yeah um Okay, so the study that I was talking about earlier, it was by the Intensive Care National Audit and Research Centre. And it suggested that BMI was actually not a risk factor for admission to ICU. Uh, What do you think of this, Samaya? So I think there are going to be multiple studies and some will say that obesity is not a risk factor and others will due to the evolving nature of COVID-19. And I think I'm personally inclined to believe that BMI is a risk factor only because of the number of studies which have presented and said it is and it's been found in multiple studies as well that obesity is a risk factor for ICU admissions but I'm not going to say that that standalone is the key risk factor I think it's coupled with other determinants so I think Mim mentioned this as well but there are individuals from black and ethnic minority backgrounds who will again generally have existing comorbidities such as diabetes, high blood blood pressure, cholesterol, heart disease, and alongside um, having a high BMI, that definitely increases their risk of developing a severe form of COVID-19. So I think those are 
the key reasons. But I think BMI does play a huge role from the studies that have been um, produced in recent months. But we won't know the relationship for certain until many years to yeah, come. You're right. Mm-hmm. And in terms of contradicting research, you're right. There are some studies that mention where there is an association between higher BMI and hospital admissions and uh, mm-hmm. higher mortality rates uh, of patients with higher BMI. So I did I did manage to see a study where, where basically there was an association between admission into hospital with confirmed ni- COVID-19 um, and old age or increased BMI. Uh, among other conditions as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right now we just know that it's kind of like a, um, like a, not, we don't know if it's cause and effect, right? It's more that there's a relationship there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's mm. correlation. Yeah, and and yeah. as well as you said, Samaya, there's comorbidities and um, that occur because mm-hmm. of you know excess weight. So we need to acknowledge that as well. Thank you, Jakes. Um, so do you think this association of obesity and COVID has contributed to increased prejudice? I would say to a large extent, I do believe that complications have arisen and that's particularly for obese patients who have COVID-19. And it kind of of comes back to my earlier point in terms of the way it's being portrayed in the media and by the government, because obviously the prime minister held a coronavirus briefing stating that obesity is linked to COVID-19, yet he did not really factor in that because of COVID-19, many weight management services actually to begin with were very limited before the pandemic. And during the pandemic, these services were postponed or cancelled due to the lockdown. And I think as well, we kind of have to consider that lockdown has isolated so many people from friends and family. So food is another perfect safety net for people um, with, say, mental health conditions as well to binge eat. And I think Mm -hmm. this has been increased prejudice within the community. Um, And I think that's what makes it a little bit more difficult for people with for patients who um, are deemed to be obese, because people don't necessarily consider those factors. There are other factors related to this. But because of what we've been hearing by the government, who have just straight up said that COVID-19 obesity is linked with COVID-19, people have that understanding in their head that that's that relationship and those people who are obese need to change but it's not just as simple as that there are other factors related to it as I've mentioned yeah and I I like that you actually mentioned the prime minister's response to this because I have to say just as you know someone who's not into politics or something or anything just listening to whatever the prime minister says about the whole obesity thing it's really confusing because um you mentioned the eat out to help out which was supposed to help businesses and restaurants but at the same time they were um introducing or they were trying to introduce uh carry information on menus and they um boris johnson <laughs> i don't know if you guys saw he made a video about how he started running and it's improved his life so much so he was doing these two things at the same time and it's like wait am i supposed to go to a restaurant or am i yeah. supposed to what am i supposed to do but um you mentioned the help out to eat out thing what's your opinion um on it in general 
and to do with obesity and COVID? I would say, in my opinion, the Eat Out to Help Out scheme was very contradictory because (laughs) on one hand, the government's telling us that obesity increases the severity of COVID-19. And then yet on the other, they're like introducing the Eat Out to Help Out. Um, And whilst I totally understand the main reason for the Eat Out to Help Out was to support businesses, reclaim their sales that they'd lost during the first lockdown, most of the government subsidies were on fast food restaurants and chains such as Burger King, KFC, McDonald's, they'd all signed up to the scheme. And I think it would have been a lot more effective if the 50% off was offered in healthier restaurants or even on fruit and vegetables within supermarkets, because I think people will always gravitate towards fast food chains. Um, I know this is like a separate topic in itself, but due to the branding, as well as the well-known popularity of Mm -hmm these like restaurants and I think if there were 50% reductions given to healthier foods people would actually realize the benefits of eating healthy and it could potentially enable them to move towards a healthier diet but I think that needs to be introduced to an extent by those in power Mm -hmm. that would help yeah that's a good point actually because um when we think about the healthy eating aspect, I think a lot of people, like you said, are willing to grad- gravitate towards restaurants, especially when there's that 50% off. And even um, with the 50, like if there was a 50% off fruit and veg, for example, um, you talked about how there was the weight management uh, systems and services that were unavailable during lockdown. I feel like that would have an impact on how people can perceive healthy cooking and stuff and stuff like that because I mean I think I know a lot of people did like homestyle baking and all that in uh, lockdown but I think what people are unaware of this is a complete separate topic but what people are um, struggling with as well is having the education or the knowledge to do healthy cooking at home and I feel like like you said the um, 50% off scheme would have been such a great opportunity to kind of make those um you know, make up for the lack of funding and the lack of access to weight management services and other educational systems. But yeah, this is that that was a big <laughs> thing to unpack. Yeah, definitely. Because I think it's like building up in people's minds, isn't it? Like how the mm. Eat Out to Help Out scheme was introduced. But literally, like, I think they said the Eat Out to Help Out a day after they talked about the association with obesity. And I was like, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> oh my god um for the listeners we're recording this as we're going into tier four we're in tier four now aren't we yeah so (laughs) we don't know what's going on (laughs) we don't know how we're gonna be here for um the government clearly has no idea what they're doing that was a controversial (laughs) opinion take that as you will but that is true (laughs) sarah you can cut that out if you want but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Um, thank you so much Samaya it was really enlightening I I enjoyed this actually it's full of controversial opinions (laughs) no I think that's the thing though like with this topic it's not discussed enough like people kind of think if they Mm. it's not politically correct because they might say something which might offend someone and I think it's important to have these discussions because as soon as we have them then we can address those kind of issues and like start to make change otherwise we're like all discussing it well, we're not discussing it, but we're keeping it in within ourselves. But we're not actually expressing how we feel. Obviously, not being offensive, <laughs> but like making sure that we air out these issues that exist within society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we 
acknowledge all the nuances and all the moving parts to the issue. Definitely. So thank you so much again, Samaya, for being on. I really, I really enjoyed this discussion. It's it's an interesting discussion, and talking about all the nuances is something that I like. I like to do particularly because there is a lot of moving parts and generalizations. They are more of a hindrance than a help. I think. Um, as always, we'll have all our references and our sh- uh, references, further reading, any material that Samaya's mentioned or we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. It will all be in our show notes. Um, links, studies, etc. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. Please make sure to check out our Instagram as well. We're going to have infographics and, you know, airing out all our controversial opinions on there too. Um, make sure <laughs> so to rate this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Make sure to rate and review this episode. And until next week.